So the text that we're looking at today starts out with the idea that when Jesus had finished preaching, that he immediately went uh, and the story that we had read uh, happened. And so it's one of those things where Jesus is, it preaches and then he's literally he's going to the Capernaum Cracker Barrel and they're on the way and people come along and, and this, what we're going to read happens. And so that's really important in the placement of it because we've got to understand the sermon that he just taught to really understand what's going on. And so we're going to back up a little bit, which is really awesome because with no planning of ours, not saying that we don't plan, but with no planning of ours, we ended up back at uh, the exact same sermon, but in the book of Matthew, because the Sermon on the Mount was one of those sort of things that the, the gospel writers thought was pretty important, and so they told it to us several times. So after he'd finished his saying, all this stuff happened immediately right after he preaches. So the first, remember how that sermon went. So the first idea that Jesus taught in that sermon was, blessed are the poor, blessed are the, they that mourn. If, if you think you've got it all together, you're not going to be happy. And so blessed is that guy that realizes that he's not worthy, that realizes that he doesn't have his act together, that he, he realizes that he's poor and he's hungry. And, and in fact, he, he goes on to say that that kind of person is not going to be the person who judges. He says, judge not lest you be judged. Because you know what? If you don't have your act together, it's really hard for me to look at other people and go, what's their problem? We're too busy fooling with their own stuff. My kids learned really early on that one of my things is, why are you doing that? And I would say, Nanya. And they'd be like, because that means none of your business. Well, if you mind in your own business and you realize that we're lacking and that we're in desperate need of God to do a work in our life, it's really hard to look at other people. In fact, it completely shifts their attitude from, I've got it all together, let me tell you how to live your life, to... If God can save somebody as miserable and desperate as me, he can save you too. Even though you may be saying the same things, you're saying the same gospel. One, people will listen to what you're saying and the other people are like, well, who does he think he is? What an arrogant jerk. And so we see in Jesus' sermon first, is blessed are they that are hungry, blessed are they that thirst, blessed are they that mourn, and then woe to those who are rich, who think they've got it all together. And then he tells us to love our enemies. We talked in Sunday school today about that. That's really hard to do. But that's one of those things that's not natural that causes the world to jump out and look and go, hey, there's something different there. Because it's really natural for me to love the people who are just like me, who agree with me about everything, who do the same sort of things as I do. It's really easy for me to love other Alabama fans because we won. Just saying. Oh, see, I'm getting some heads bobbing. You guys know that diesel smell you smell is the Gus bus on the road. <laughs> there you go. Garrett asked me on Thursday, he said, are you worried about the game? And I looked at him and said, I ain't playing. <laughs> All right, so we don't judge. We don't look down our nose at other people because we realize that we don't have it together. And we guard what comes into our life. 
So that's the sermon. That's what on, is on everybody's mind. Jesus finishes preaching the sermon. He shakes everybody's hands. Like I said, they get in the car. They go into Cracker Barrel. And then the elders of the church of, of Israel come up to him and go, Jesus, hey, there's this guy. He's a centurion, which means that he was a soldier that had a guard, had a hundred people, which is where century and centurion comes together. There's this centurion who's got a servant that he loves And that servant is sick unto death. Hey, Jesus, this guy is worthy for you to come to his house and heal that guy. This guy has paid for us to have a synagogue. This guy loves the nation of Israel. You need to go heal his servant. And so Jesus, hearing what the elder said, goes to heal him. And he's moving in that direction. And while he and and his disciples and everybody, they get close to where the centurion lives, the centurion had sent somebody out who said, whoa, 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 stop here. The word from the centurion was, hey, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. I'm a man under authority just like you. And Jesus, if you will say the word, I know that you have authority over the demons. I know you have the authority over healing. And so if you'll just say the word, my servant will be healed. Don't trouble yourself to come to my house. And then we have some, a crazy statement. It said that Jesus marveled. I look, Jesus marveled a lot in, in the New Testament. When Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we read about Jesus, he marveled a lot. But every time other than this story, he marveled that everybody was stupid. He marveled at their lack of faith. He marveled that they didn't get it. Sometimes we just don't get it. We don't understand what's going on, and we cause all kinds of problems. And Jesus would look and go, oh, my gosh, you see me healing people. You see me raising the dead. You see me taking a little bit of bread and feeding 5,000 people, and you don't get it? What is your problem? And he would marvel at how stupid they were. Sometimes we marvel at ourselves. I was thinking while well, I was, I was trying to think of an example of this, and I could think of lots of examples of me being stupid. And so I, I tried to say, no, that's not a good one. No, that's not a good one. But since it's, it's kind of men's day, I thought I would share this story. And some of you will relate to it. And ladies, you're just going to have to bear with me because most of you won't know what I'm talking about. I actually had an old truck, and the alternator went out on it. So I had to replace the alternator. So I'd gone to AutoZone, got me a new alternator, and I had put that alternator on. And the way that it works is that you have a belt that goes around that alternator that goes around the rest of the, the, the motor. And you have a, a bolt that you loosen up, and then you take some kind of pry bar, and you tighten that, that belt, and then you tighten that bolt up. And you've got to keep that bolt really tight, because if you don't, the alternator will slip, 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 and then the belt will get all loosey-goosey. And so I had gotten it tight, and I went to tighten that bolt up really tight, and it goes pow and popped, and the end of it broke off. And I was really upset because this particular bolt was one that was threaded into the motor. And it had a, had a little bracket that came out of the motor, and it was threaded, and it went through, and then there was an open space on the other side. And I thought... Oh, me. And so for the next four or five hours, I drilled the old bolt out, 
So you have to take a drill, and of course it's at some kind of crazy angle, so you're having to stand on your left ear to drill the bolt out. Drill the bolt out, and then I, I was at my dad's house, and I went and got his tap kit, and I re-thread the, the thing, and then realized that now it's bigger, and so my bolt isn't gonna, gonna work, and I have to find a bolt that matches the tap that I used. And this is literally one of those things where it's just everything that you went to touch fell apart, and it didn't work. And I'm really frustrated, and I'm angry, but I'm just finishing it up about five 5.30 when Frank comes home from Fort McClellan. It was me and one of my buddies, and I'm sitting there very proud of what I had done. And Dad walks up and looks at it and goes, why didn't you just run a bolt through there and put a nut on the end? And I felt like an idiot. Because instead of spending the last five hours doing something, all I could have knocked the whole thing out in about three minutes. I was just stupid. And so here we have, in this story, we have a bunch, and only the guys got that, not even all of them got it. I can't believe that story was so flat. I feel like I should have had a picture of an alternator and the motor, and wow. Okay, so let's move past my stupidity to their stupidity. So Jesus marvels a lot. But this is the only time in the entire gospel story that Jesus marveled because of somebody's faith. Jesus looks at this guy and, uh, this, when the guys came out and said, I have never seen faith like this. No, not in all Israel have I seen anything like this. This guy's got faith. Now, one of the neat things about this story where God and his providence and the writers recording it, they absolutely encapsulate that sermon that Jesus preached. The Sermon on the Mount, it's almost like God realized that we're not the brightest bulbs in the bulb box, and so he gave us a living example immediately following the sermon. Now think about it. He mourned, he was hungry, because the elders of Israel said, this guy is worthy for you to come into his house. And what did he say? Don't come in my house. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of you. Jesus said to love your enemies. And here, this guy loved the nation of Israel. This guy built synagogues. He was living it out. Jesus, in the sermon, says to forgive those And here he was in a nation that hated him. He's got this little servant. And here the Bible said that he loved him. I read in one commentary they quoted a writer of the day that said, Slaves are like tools. When they wear out, throw them away. And here he had a sick slave and he loved him and was trying to do something to get him help. So here we see the sermon of Jesus lived out. Now, I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't say that this guy had great obedience. This entire text, the whole idea of this text, the thrust of this text is about faith. He said that. He said, I've never seen faith like this in all Israel. How is that faith? And I think this is also a really cool picture for us to see what is faith. See, because we act like in the church that faith is just really, 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 really believing something, right? 
We talked about this before. We act like faith is, oh, I'm not going to doubt. I'm not going to doubt. It is going to happen. It is going to happen. It is going to happen. It's not going to happen. I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better. Or God's going to send that money for the bill. God's going to send that money for the bill. And we try to work ourselves up and conjure in ourselves some kind of super belief. And we call that faith. But what we see in this guy, what Jesus is talking about faith, real faith is laid out in black and white. Okay, we got a definition of faith. We don't have to argue or worry. God did not leave us questioning what does faith mean. The Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In Hebrews chapter 1, it lays out exactly what it is. Only those words sound like gobbledygook. Faith is the substance, the thing that I can hold, the thing I can touch, the thing I can deal with, the substance of things that are hoped for. They're not, they're not here. And the evidence, think CSI, think if that's not your, 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 your thing, maybe think um, Andy Griffith evidence. It's the thing that proves it of something that's not seen. The evidence of things not seen. That doesn't make any sense. And it's almost like the writer in Hebrews realizes that we're not going to understand it. So he gives example after example after example after example of faith. We have the example of Abram and, and his wife. We have the example uh, uh, over and over and over again. And then at the end of Hebrews he says, And what shall I more say of Jephthah and Barak and of Samson, who through faith fought, wrought kingdoms, wrought righteousness? Stop the mouths of lions. All these people did great, amazing things for God. And if we look at those stories and we look at what people did, oftentimes they didn't believe really, really, really hard. In fact, and I've said it before, Isaac's name is Giggles because they didn't believe. When the angel came and said, hey, you're going to have a baby, Sarah, she's like, yeah, whatever. Old people don't have babies. I mean, we don't have a nursery geriatric section in the church for a reason. Okay, all the old moms, watch your hip, come in this way. Because that doesn't happen. But they still obeyed. You see, faith, it's not unlike courage is not a lack of fear. Courage is doing what you're supposed to do even in the face of fear. Faith is not about doubt. Faith is obeying whether you doubt or not. Faith is saying, I don't understand how this is going to work. I don't understand what you're trying to do, God. But you said in your word to do something, so I'm going to do it, and we'll see if you follow through. That's faith. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is disobedience. Somebody was sharing in their Sunday school class, I know God said to love your enemy, but I can't love those people in ISIS. Well, you know what? Let's get crazy and love them enough to pray for them and see what God can do. That's faith. I don't understand how God's going to do it. I don't understand what he's going to do, but I'm going to believe God enough to do what he told me to do, whether I understand it or not. That's faith. Faith is saying, I know if I tell this guy about Jesus, he's going to think I'm an idiot. So be it. I've been an idiot for stupider things. Faith is loving your wife even when you don't feel like it. Faith is loving your kids even when you don't feel like it. Women, faith is loving that sorry scoundrel of a husband even when you don't feel like it. And sacrificing for each other. 
I do premarital counseling with Anne, and it's always funny because we, we take about 12 weeks, and I always say toward the end, um, and Adam, don't listen to this so you won't know how it ends, but I always say at the end, you know, it all really boils down to you guys are supposed to be sacrificing for each other. A woman is supposed to love her husband, respect him, and obey, and the husband's supposed to be sacrificially loving her, and you're both sacrificing for each other. That's the essence of marriage. If you can get that through, it'll all work. But we don't want to believe God. We don't want to have faith and obey. And so here was this guy, this Roman centurion. He didn't know if God was going to actually heal his servant or not. He still put action to his belief. And he sent those guys out to Jesus and said, Hey, hey, whoa, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. Just say the word. Now the story tells us that immediately as Jesus spoke, the servant was healed. Because God can do things that we can't do. It's kind of like in this church, one of the things that, that we do that I think is awesome is when the Bible says, if you're sick, go to the elders of the church and let them anoint you with oil and pray for you that you may be healed. And I will say that probably this is one of the few churches I've ever been a part of that actually does that. And we've seen a bunch of people healed. It's crazy that when we get stupid and forget how smart we are and just do what God said to do, then God does what he said he would do. It's just amazing. It's almost like God's God and I ain't. And so we see here that this whole text is about faith. But I want to talk about one final thing that just rocked my little world here. Jesus makes this statement. I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Now, when Jesus said this, he wasn't referring to his disciples. Wasn't talking about Peter, James, or John. Wasn't talking about John the Baptist. He was talking about a day-to-day Roman centurion, a blue-collar cop who didn't even go to church that day because his servant had been sick. And that is shocking to me in that sometimes in the church we act like if you're not a preacher, if you're not a missionary, if you're not a music guy, if you're, if you're not doing something that everybody sees that God can't use you. And yet, Jesus says that it's this guy that's not any of those things, that had the most most faith in all of Israel. See, we, and, and, and I'm guilty of this too, we pray for revival, and we pray that God would send his spirit down and do some miraculous stuff. And sometimes when we do that, we act like the day to day to day steady state Christianity, just doing what we're supposed to do, getting up today, putting my pants on, going to work to provide for my family, loving my wife, loving my kids, doing the stuff I'm supposed to do, 
being reading my Bible today and maybe trying to obey it a little bit more. We act like that's not important. And yet that's what we see here. And that's where we have Jesus saying, that guy's got more faith than anybody in all of Israel. There was a, a little girl. I, I, I'm not going to mention her name. I, I, I was hoping she'd be here this morning. And I was going to ask her permission. So I'm, I'm trying to edit on the fly. Who walked the aisle at, at a youth event. And I said... Uh, she was crying, and I said, what is, what's going on, hon? And she said, um, I just want that feeling like I had when we were at camp. Remember when we were at camp, and, and, and I remember giving my testimony, and I remember feeling the Holy Spirit come on me, and, and just, just feeling awesome and feeling emotionally uplifted, and I just can't get that feeling back. I want that feeling again. And I said, honey... That's not real in that, not saying that her feelings weren't real. We took you out of school. We took you to some place where you weren't around your mom and dad. You weren't around your sister who comes in and colors on the wall and gets on your nerves. We took you into an unrealistic, unnatural setting. We played a bunch of music constantly, which you don't get every day. You had people speaking the gospel into your life 10, 12, 13 hours a day, you go back to your room and you sit around with your Christian friends and you talk about the gospel, you talk about God, and you're doing this every day. Sure, you're going to be up here emotionally. And that's okay. Those are great times. They pull us along. But that's not real life. Real life is plodding along that steady state Christianity where I get up today and I don't feel like getting up today and I'm tired, but I gotta go to work anyway. And I'm at the, watching the Alabama game and somebody calls me and says, hey man, I need you to go to the hospital. My so-and-so's in the hospital. I'm like, you've gotta be kidding me. What are people doing getting sick during an Alabama game? And I got, but I gotta go anyway. And I, those steady plotting steady state Christianity. We act like that's not important. And yet what I see Jesus saying is that's the most important. Because it's easy when we're cut off from our life to, to, to get emotionally uplifted and go, yay, Jesus. When you, you walk in that, the door at six o'clock and the house is a wreck and nobody's cooked supper and there's been fighting among the kids, it's hard to go. Praise the Lord at those moments. The valley of the shadow of death had nothing on a mom raising kids. I've always said, if I come home and Ann's walking around with a spanking spoon in her back pocket, she's had a rough day. If the spanking spoon's on the counter broken, the kids have had a rough day. It's hard in those moments to go, woo, isn't it? I worked a job in North Carolina that I hated. I would literally drive around the parking lot and go, God, please come back today. <laughs> I hated my boss. I hated what I did. It's hard in those circumstances to continue to live out what God's called us to do. But it's those steady state just day-to-day -day moments when God grows us just a little bit more like Jesus, just a little bit more like Jesus, just a little bit more like Jesus today. That's real growth. It's not super emotional. It's not we're going to be dancing down at the altar, but it's that, that growing, becoming more and more and more. It's that steady state stuff that Jesus said, that's the most faith I've ever seen 
in that guy that we don't even know his name. We don't know who he is. And so as I've read this, I've been convicted that I'm looking for the wrong thing. I'm looking for those emotional highs when what Jesus is saying, the most faithful thing that I can do is just love people today. Care for people today. We need to stop looking for something out there that might happen and just say, today, to the best of my ability, and God knows I'm going to fail some, I'm gonna try in everything in me to be more like Jesus than I was yesterday. I'm gonna try to love the people that I work with even when they're jerks. I'm gonna try to love the people that I go to church with. I know we're never jerks to each other, ever. We just are all about love up in here, right? It's that plodding, steady state, day-by-day faith that we want to seek out, that we want to live in, that we want to grow in. And you know what? That comes through just doing the stuff we know to do. Reading the Bible, praying for the people around us, praying, talking to God, spending time in fellowship, Telling people about Jesus. It's not complicated. It's not sexy. It's not lights and smoke machines. No offense, Garrett. I know you like the lights and smoke machines. It's just that moving along. A little bit more today. A little bit more today. As we come to this time of invitation, there are three things. You know, I say this every week. There are three things that we're, we, we need to deal with. One is if you're in this room and you've never called on the name of the Lord to be saved, none of this makes sense to you. What I was talking about, steady state, for you would be hypocrisy, trying to earn your favor to God. Don't do that. Because you can't do that steady state plotting except in the power of the Lord. And so if you've never been saved, if you've never called on the name of my Savior, I would love to talk to you about this right here. If you need a little strength to get through Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm not the source of your power, but I know the guy who is. And this altar is open. And if you're looking for a church family, if you're looking for somebody to get in that fight with, to assault the gates of hell with, we would love to have you join us at North Glencoe. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, you didn't have to tell us anything. But you showed us so much. God, I pray in my life that I would work and strive to just move a little bit further. A little bit more like Jesus a little closer to the cross. Help me keep focus. Help me to do my job. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open.